Welcome to the Design Build Institute of America's Design Build Delivers podcast. I'm Kim Wright with DBIA in Washington, and today we're going to talk to Barbara Jackson about the leaders we have versus the leaders we need. Barbara is the director of the Burns School of Real Estate and Construction Management and its Center for Integrated Project Leadership at the University of Denver. I could spend another 10 minutes describing Dr. Jackson's accomplishments, but let's just say she's one of the most recognized and respected thought leaders in the AEC industry. She spent decades in the construction industry. She's author of what many consider Design Build's Bible, Design Build Essentials, and is now teaching our industry's future generations at the University of Denver. Barbara's primary focus these days is on leadership and culture in the transforming design and construction disciplines. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation about leadership, design build, and she has a surprising take on our industry from the students she teaches. We're talking to Barbara Jackson, the University of Denver, and we want to talk about all things leadership, management, design build, kind of the soup to nuts. It's hard to even know where to start, but let's begin kind of with the basics. One thing that you have said a lot, and I've heard you say this, is that it's more than management. Leadership is not management. They're not the same thing. We have to be able to talk about those two things separately and understand the difference. Let's use that as a starting point. When you say leadership is not management, tell me what that means. Well, leadership is really the notion of creating some future, creating that vision, creating where we're going, and it really is about directing change instigating change. That's what leadership's about. Whereas management is about actually maintaining the status quo, not changing, not disrupting anything. So you've got these two dynamics, if you will, leadership and management that seem almost opposed to one another. So the real trick with this is how do you lead while still managing and maintaining the status quo for a profitable business, for a viable business enterprise. And that's what makes leadership such a challenge, really. Right. Because what you're trying to do is stir and direct a future. And if you're really good at it, you're able to do that while still maintaining and managing a viable enterprise going forward. So it's a tricky thing. It really is a tricky thing. And leadership seems like it's then such more of a far-reaching. It's much more of that 10,000-foot look, potentially, which is not easy by any stretch. And it's not easy, but it's actually, and what we find is if you're really good at um, speaking that future, that possibility of what we can become, that's the inspirational component of leadership, and that that is what drives the highest performance of those who you lead. So it's interesting that, sure, we want to maintain this the, and manage the operational techniques and quality and safety and all of those things. But what really stirs people is if we do that and do that well, where it can take us in a future to be the leaders in, in, in the industry in some component of the business, for example. So even though they might seem somewhat opposed, they're really not because the leadership component is what drives, or I should say propels, it's what propels people's aspirations and the, um, the, the, the possibilities for their own future. And that's what makes it so exciting 
to be involved in leadership while still managing the operations, the business side of anything. It has to be viable. Yeah. Can you learn to be a good leader? Or is that something you just need to be? I mean, we yeah. all know natural leaders, right? Yeah. But can you learn to be a good leader? Well, again, all the research right now actually shows that you can learn leadership. And you can learn to be inspirational. And you can learn so many of these skills and the technique or the, the mechanism by which to lead and to inspire is communication. Right. And so, you know, having the fundamentals or what I call the, um, the building blocks of communication is really, really critical. And I see it, when I teach it, I see three components to communication. There's a, a, a technical or practical component to communication. There is a, what I'll call a spiritual component to communication, purpose, purpose-driven. That's oh, sort of the spiritual okay. component or the way I describe it. You could also call it the inspirational component of communication. And then there's really the big, big trick is the human aspects of communication. And the human aspects are so many uh, facets that most people don't know exist. But as a human being, we all have characteristics in terms of how we communicate or what keeps us from communicating. And that is a tricky piece. But once you understand it, you can recognize it when, you're, when you see it when you're actually doing it in yourself in yourself okay so the first thing is awareness and once you're aware of those human dynamics associated with communication and you can see them you can actually say I'm not going to do that or I am going to do it the heck with it <laughs> but you get to choose and that's the whole key to it is you're going to choose any of those dynamics of communication that are triggered just because you're a human being and then you'll know. I mean, you know what to do with it. You know, I'm gonna follow that, I'm not gonna follow that, or you're gonna go, there it is again, I'm doing that human thing. Can you give me an example of I that? I can. So okay. there's something we call the always already listening, okay? This is a human phenomenon. And what it is, is that when someone else is speaking to us, we have a tendency to drift off. They have said some word or they're wearing some color of clothing, or they remind us of someone we know, and as soon as that happens, our human beingness will have us drift off. For example, they might say, isn't it a beautiful day today? The sky's so blue, and my dog's name happens to be Blue. So when you say Blue, I go, oh shoot, I forgot to water the dog this morning. <laughs> That's what I mean about that drift, that natural yeah. drift. Yeah. And it, it happens all the time. But when you see it happening, you can then choose to bring yourself back and bring yourself back and bring yourself back because it's happening all the time. Like 60% of the time, we're actually not present when someone's speaking to us. And I've he seen anything from 60 to as high as 72%. We're not present when people are talking to I us. I think people could recognize that, yeah. right? I mean, that, that yeah. seems very recognizable, I know, for all of us. And it's human. It's not a flawed, you know, it's not like you're flawed. It's a human phenomenon that that happens to us. 
But again, once you're aware of it, you can bring yourself back or you can notice it and say, no, I'm not coming back. I like where I'm going. And we do <laughs> that all the time. But the point is we get to choose at that moment when we see it. Okay. And there's so many of those. So, so that's a high those. level of self-awareness then yeah. as, as a beginning step. If you really want to become this type of, um, have, be able to, to use these type of leadership skills. And again, one of the number one we see over and over again from um, an inspirational leader perspective or leadership in general, the number one thing is to be present when you're speaking to people. Like I see it over and over again. Where you got to begin is to be present. So that's why that whole aspect of bringing yourself back, noticing you go away and bringing yourself back intentionally, that's a skill. So when you ask, can it be learned? Yes, it can. Once you're aware and then you learn, then you can choose to use it or not. And I think we can probably all think of somebody that we've met in our life where it's career or personal, whatever, who we just thought was just magnetic or had that, yeah. that charisma or could make us do whatever yeah, yeah. it is they wanted us mm -hmm. to do, with, even if we just met them. And I think you're right. It's that con It's the eye to eye. Yep. It's the, I actually think they're listening to what I'm saying. Yeah. Now, doing it is very different than I think <laughs> recognizing it. Well, the other aspect, if you think about it, when you hear people speak about the leaders in their lives, people who have inspired them, you'll hear them say things like, they really got me, they understood me, they believed in me. Well, that all comes from, believe it or not, communication from the standpoint that they were present and really into you when they were speaking to you. So it wasn't that you were just having this conversation about, you know, it was a great uh, project and I really enjoyed what I was doing. I mean, that's part of it. But the leader aspect is, yeah, and you're really good at that. I've noticed several times when you've taken on that kind of challenge, you've brought in excellent results. Well, that's, that's actually now I'm, I'm speaking about the human being that's in front of me. I'm acknowledging them, I'm recognizing them, I'm encouraging them, but it's just in the framework of a conversation sure. versus we're just transferring information about the project. We're having an opportunity as a leader to acknowledge who the person is unique from everyone else. And that's when they begin to see this person believes in me. This person gets me. This person recognizes me. And they'll start talking, the most inspirational leader I ever had. Mm. And watch what happens to their productivity. Their effort level, everything goes up. So to me, this isn't rocket science. This is really just from, from even a practical perspective to learn those skills, to take the time to listen in a particular way makes such a huge difference. And any human being can bring that to the table. So again, leadership, I used to think, eh, you know, you're either born with it or not, maybe. I no longer believe that. I believe that people can learn how to do this. And some people are natural at it, and other people have to learn it. But it is, it's teachable, it's lear you can learn it. and. It works. And vital to design builders. Yes, absolutely. 
Again, because if you think about what we're doing in design build, the whole process of design build, and we don't talk about this very often, but the whole process of design build is a creative process. It's both the art and the science. Right. And it's not just the art is associated with the design. We're talking about the art in terms of leading a process. That's absolutely a creative, artful technique or talent. Let me use the word talent, much better word. And, you know, we don't necessarily think about it like that, but it's not per plans and specs, just check the boxes anymore. And it's trying to optimize the entire solution as we go, not that we're going to figure it all out in the beginning and then we're not going to see opportunities or uh, run into challenges as we go. Of course we are. But what we need to think about in design build is not just meeting the challenges and problem solve, but actually seek out the opportunities and enhance and also leverage those opportunities and opportunities to really make the project better and better and better. Because innovation by definition generally comes when you're willing to take a risk because you're willing to put it out there with your team. Yes. Right? Yes. And, you know, that's that again, that's part of the leadership component. That's part of the design build, what I call the creative or the art side of it, not just the science side. And that's why, you know, design build is still... Um, I believe there are people who are really, um, uh, I'll use the term natural to design build, and then others have to learn it. And there's frankly still, I meet people who, it's the last thing they should be doing, quite frankly. <laughs> right. But it's, it's, it's sort of, we got the whole mix of people that are involved in design build at this time. So, you know, we want to make sure that people have the opportunity to do design build, experience design build, uh, reap the, the, the benefits of design build, uh, that they all get that opportunity, that it's not just, you know, some projects or just these kinds of projects or just these kinds of companies, but really make sure that we make available um, the opportunities of it to, to everyone and every type of project, quite frankly. And that's getting to the core of what you've always said is so important, which is making that mental shift. Yes. <laughs> you can talk about it, you know, all you want, but you really have to, you have yeah. to make that mental shift. You make the mental shift. And again, I still believe to this day, and I started that conversation probably 15 years ago, but to this day, I still believe the toughest part of design build traditionally is making that mental shift from a segregated services mentality to an integrated services mentality to the notion of of I know it's a, a word used often but the synergy that's associated with a multidiscipline multi multidisciplinary team that because you have those different perspectives on the same team they have different experiences they have different perspectives um, they have different levels of expertise, and it's across the board. It's design, it's construction, it's engineering. And because we have that available, we really have the opportunity to, again, create leveraged, optimized solutions. So it's not this, again, we, we set it all in stone and, and fixed 100% design, and it's complete, and it's done, right. as if nothing is going to impact it. Instead, it's a dynamic process. 
And again, for people to understand that design build is a dynamic process. It's not meant to be, we figured it out, now let's just deliver it. It's we figured out where to start in this process. We've got a design, we're gonna move forward. But through that process, we're gonna see things. And an owner, for example, who is open to the possibility of a leveraged or enhanced project or solution, and for them to be ready for that opportunity as you go forward. That's really, I mean, when I talk about the ideal design build scenario, that's it. Where we've got an owner who says, this is what I'm out for, and anything I can get beyond this would be wonderful, and I have other parameters we have to meet, but I want to know about it. I want to make the decision. I don't want to just ignore it because it's thought that I'm not interested. And not every client will that work for, but those that where it will, that's a real opportunity that I don't think we can get to in a means other than design build, quite frankly. Right. I'm wondering, you know, you, you have invested a career in integrated delivery and with with a, a special emphasis on the ability for these soft skills, which, ha, you know, really probably heretofore, just not something was even on the radar right. for your average, you know, project delivery process. Um, and now, you, now you're, you're teaching as well. So you've seen, gener you've seen it through the years. Do you think young professionals coming into this business now are, are approach this in a different way than maybe we did? Absolutely, hands down, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, I've said for at least, again, 10, 20 years that the young people, and, and you know, we've got a new set of young people from when I first started speaking of this, but the younger generation, they are very, very interested in, in doing things smarter, better. Um, they abhor waste, wasted energy, wasted resources, wasted time. And they really, really are interested in adding value. So for them, they are very, very interested in design build and any integrated solution process that allows them to engage with other thinking, with other perspectives. They're very keen on that. And I've said for years that they will either transform this industry or they're gonna get out of it. And that is as true today as it was probably when I first said it in, I don't know when, 1990 or whenever I first said it, but it's really, really obvious to me. And I have to tell you, I teach a class at the University of Denver called a Strategic Intelligence and Integrated Project Leadership. And part of that class is a section that's tied in with another class we teach on regenerative business or regenerative development. That's that triple bottom line notion. Right. And, and they're interested in new metrics, not just economic metrics, but they're interested in the social metrics and they're interested in um, the environmental metrics, of course, um, sustainability. But what's fascinating to me is as they come out of this program, and these are graduate students, so these are young professionals, exactly what we're talking about. They'll come out of this program, and this program looks at, this course looks at the leaders we have and the leaders we need. And they do a gap analysis, okay? So one of the things that happens is they come out of the class and they'll say things like this. Now, it's given me a new 
problem and challenge, quite frankly. But this is what they're saying. This is scary. (laughs) The companies we want to work for don't exist. Wow. Wow. Right? Absolutely wow. wow. So when we think about this generation, now they're working for companies right now. So my next challenge is how do I find this group of people? Because we're not going to change companies overnight. But some will start to pop out of the box and really start to embrace a fully um, optimized approach to this business, which we don't have now because we look at design and construction, but we're not looking pre-design and we're not looking post-construction as service providers. We are contractors and architects. But these students are interested in what's the bigger picture of the whole thing. Why aren't we looking at building codes? Why aren't we looking at finance? What are the other things that influence the design and building process? Because we're kind of stuck in a box if we're just limited to the design and the construction. And that's what they're seeing. They want to experience their work in which in a way that they get to look at the whole life cycle if you will so that they can begin to influence those downstream and upstream processes or regulations or insurance requirements or whatever it might be they want to influence that as well so how incredibly exciting and terrifying at the same time exactly it's absolutely exciting and we, it's absolutely terrifying at the same time. And that's why I say, when I set out to create these more advanced courses, strategic intelligence and things like that around our industry, I wasn't expecting this be response. So terrified. I wasn't <laughs> expecting this response of, well, Barb, thank you. But now it's like the companies we want to work for, we're realizing they don't actually exist because when we go into our companies, and we start talking about the bigger picture and how we could impact it, there's not a lot of listening for it. Well, no, because that's what, again, they're not charged with doing that. And their question is, how do we change that? How do we get the public to start to look at the design and construction industry as something more than that? Right. And that's why I say it's the art and the science. And we're pretty, we're pretty rock solid in the science part of it, in the technical aspects of design and construction. But what do we do when we start to look at not only our impact, what, we, what and how we impact all of communities and society, but what impacts our process as well? For example, I recently learned that most construction projects are 350% overinsured. Goodness. To a young person, that's all they hear is waste, redundancy and waste. Why does that still exist? And people have answers for it. They say, well, it's because nobody trusts one another. Well, it's because... Frankly, the lawyers got in our business. They'll say something, but that's not the answer. That might be the explanation, 
but it's not the answer. So when these young people are saying, you know, the companies we want to work for don't exist, what they're saying, where's the company who's going to address that? Where's the company who's going to create a new um, risk management model right. where we're not over-insuring projects by 300%? And that brings us all the way back around to the concept of leadership. Yes, and it does. The, and the insight and the foresight yes. to see it does. What, what you need to be, not what you are. Yes, and that's, again, it's, it's you can still maintain and deliver product projects and products the way we, we're doing it now, but the leadership component, when we look at the leaders we have and the leaders we need, that's what I'm, I'm looking at myself is how do we begin to not only transform our own industry, but transform the entire business model for delivering the built environment because it's a very narrow approach. I mean, we, we approach the built environment as if it only entails design and construction, fundamentally. But the truth is, it, it starts, and it, this, you know, sustainability has been, think, has been on top of this for some time, but it's never, I don't believe, been well explained what we mean by that. And when I use the word regenerative, See, re regenerative is sustainability on steroids. Mm. Regenerative means we consider every aspect that impacts what we can deliver, the natural resource. It's so beyond sustainability. It's the notion that we can generate and then regenerate from our own source, whatever we have, whether it's you know energy or workforce or whatever it is that it's sort of this, this self-sustaining model that allows whatever we create to actually survive on its own without outside interference, for example, a community or a neighborhood or a city or a hospital, a single project, a school system, you know, School systems may be educating the next generation of teachers who's going to teach in that school system. I mean, it, something like that. Sure. So it's a regeneration is sustainability on steroids. And they've, the younger people, at least to you, have gotten a little glimpse of this. And it's, again, we may have created a monster. I'm not sure. <laughs> but it's pretty exciting and frightening at the same time. Well, on that note, <laughs> thank you, Barbara. For this, we could talk about this forever and ever and ever, and there are lots of great resources where um, our listeners can, can get a lot of more Barbara's thoughts, and, and we're going to promote all of those because, honestly, this is such a great topic that touches everybody. Yeah. So thank you for taking a little bit of time. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. The good news is you don't have to be a college student to benefit from Barbara's terrific courses. DBIA is proud to offer her five-part leadership webinar where she digs deeper into leadership skills, communication, storytelling, and how to inspire. You can find all Barbara's sessions on the education page at dbia.org. You can also find her book, Design Build Essentials, in DBIA's online bookstore. Thanks for listening to Design Build Delivers.